you want to do it? You don't want to do a cold open? All right, welcome everybody to uh, Cross in Darkness, a podcast about the role-playing games with a focus on the world of darkness. Uh, we broadcast over Twitch every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time and are open to answering questions during the show. Um, I'm Frozen Fallout, your host. My co-host is Motor Rory, who helped me create this podcast as well as a 40-person, four-table Gen Con event. Motor Rory, uh, this is Season 3, Episode 8. Uh, Paradigm and Mage, The Ascension, with special guest Terry Robinson. Terry co-hosts Mage, the podcast, and is a well-known lore master of Mage, The Ascension. Uh, Terry, how has reality been treating you lately? I'm going to go with fine. For the longest time, my answer would be in Trump and COVID-adjusted terms, I'm okay. And now in COVID-adjusted terms, I'm okay. Um, and <laughs> so I, I, yeah, try I, and I try and stay at about a C+. Plus. What was that? Yeah. I've heard the term I'm pandemic good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, there's a certain degree to it that is like, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? But I mean, uh, such is the way of those things. Like in terms of global pandemics, this one has been relatively okay to us. And it is probably not the last one that we will have in our lifetime. Like weird flex, Dragon Con 2019. Uh, ladies, please. I, uh, I do panel programming there. In my day life, I do risk assessment and uh, mathematical modeling for things. And people are going around the horn like, what do you think the biggest thing to hit us in the next five years is going to be? I'm like, pandemic. That's always the right choice. Um, so yeah. that's a bet I won. Wish I hadn't. But then again, the guy next to me is like nuclear proliferation. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, I'm glad I proved to be right and not him. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Yeah, you I, win uh, there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally down for that. Yeah, uh, at least when the pandemic goes through, we can go back in our houses and we don't have to worry about fallout. So, <laughs> yeah, ta-da, so, so mage. To started, so to get started talking about paradigm, you say that you're in uh, risk assessment. You do math. Would you consider yourself, if you had to port yourself to a, a paradigm, would you be syndicate? It, okay. So I so the. You know the weird things you're willing to quote unquote come out to your family about? Um, it took me a while to come out as someone who liked math. And then it took me like, I'm still, my family still doesn't know I do podcasting. Like when, when I had no difficulty when I was like, this is Jim and Jim and I are dating. Like that went over fine. I had no difficulty with that, but I still haven't come to terms with being like, I do a podcast. And it's like, you could have told your father and die. We would have been okay with it. I'm like, would you have mom? So, um, but, and, and likewise, my coworkers don't yet know that I do podcasting, despite the fact that when we were still in the office, I would periodically do interviews from the office where I'd be like, oh, I need to take a personal call. And I'd take one of the corner offices and suddenly the Yeti would pop up and I'd have like a camera and I'd be like, hi, Mage the Podcast fans. And uh, like, no, no one there has either put it together yet or been willing to tell me about it because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, that's weird. Or the worst case scenario is someone going, I have a podcast too, which is never the answer you want to hear. Um, but to the question as it lays, uh, if, if we were to look at all of the factions within uh, Mage the Ascension, uh, it, we, we have the traditions, we have the conventions, we have the, uh, the orphan groups, and we have the crafts. If I were to pick one where I'm like, these my peeps, when it comes to how I view the world, it would be somewhere between the Euthanatoi 
and the Society of Ether. But yes, I am a syndicate member. Uh, I have they they provide me with dots of resources. I give them prime in terms of my life essence, and we are both very happy with that arrangement. So, uh, yes. <laughs> Is that is that a thing you do to like? I hope you ask all guests that. Like, where do where do you come down on the uh, in the distribution moto? Oh, I'm a son of ether, definitely, because uh, I I fix printers for a living, <laughs> uh, big printers, and I'm like replacing modules and stuff. And most of the time, I'm just like, I don't know how any of this actually works, but I believe that if I do this, it'll work correctly. <laughs> So you say that you're a Society of Ether member, and I get that, but I think from what I've talked to, anyone who does maintenance on like large pieces of office equipment, they're all fundamentally members of the Society of Dreams. Um, it is, you have to, they're all dream speakers. You have to treat the printer with respect. Mm. You have to come to it. Uh, uh, you offer chiminage. You're like, I offer you a new um, toner refuse tank. Like that may not be what is wrong, but you still give it to it to show it respect. Um, and then there, there's a very ritualistic process you go through, maybe emulations that you have to do. You walk around it three times, you turn it off, you turn it back on again, and then you give it the night off, and then it works the next day. It's chiminage more than anything else. Oh, yeah. But that's, I, that's my when guess. I started, when I started over 10 years ago now, you know, all of my coworkers are men in their 40s, 50s, and mm -hmm. 60s. You know, uh, and they're basically mechanistic shamans at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, how many times they said, oh, yeah, this this place was built on an Indian burial ground or, you know, referring to a machine as having a spirit and, uh, you know, appeasing the spirit. And and to this day, I will walk into a place and they will say this machine, we tried to get it to work uh, for 10 hours the other day. And I come in and I'm like, I just turn it on and it just works. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, it just missed me. Yeah, there is some ancient contract they failed to fulfill, and until they uphold their part of the bargain, the the entity with inside the fetish will not operate. This is fully within the rules of M twenty. So I'm uh, I'm glad your workplace has kept up with the new additions. Yeah, although more more technically, I think most of us are iteration X. We are just all, uh, you know, modified humans now who work within the paradigm of, uh, you know, we are now cybernetic beings constantly yeah and i can get behind that and like one of the things i really wish we had gotten in m20 was that was that update because like in first edition mage you had the iterators who were like we will merge the the machine with the flesh and we will create something new and the virtual depths are like no man brains forever uh and then revised came around they're like you're telling me that we've been controlled by a space spirit that was in a rock orbiting earth and nobody told us <laughs> And then we haven't gotten that answer yet in M20. So I'm super curious to see where that come comes along. But yeah, I agree. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off, Frozen. I'm, no, no, no. <laughs> I always do one-on-one -on -one episodes. So like third party, interloper. Ah, so. No, no, that's definitely. I did find that interesting that, yeah, that you had only a lot of like uh, single or um, just two people in your episodes is what you really do on, on the podcast. I didn't see you really with you. Do you do any with three people? Uh, occasionally it will be one-on-one -on -one or it will be like seven-on-one. Oh. Like, it'll be like, hi, Adam's talking to James Estes today on um, the interpretation of the Celestial Course and religion and RPGs. And then it's like, and this episode is Terry and Victor and James and Satteros and Satteros' neighbor uh, <laughs> and a chick Satteros used to date and their cat. 
Um, but the cat was babysitting, so the kids are going to be on too. Turns out they're big 5e fans. So like all of our episodes have two or 11 people on them. We very rarely have something in between. Occasionally we will do three, and it's kind of like a first threesome where everyone's trying to be polite, but there's always something where you didn't anticipate. It's really fun towards the end, and you're like, oh yeah, we should totally do that again. But the next time you do it, it's just as awkward again. Like, there's a yeah. certain cadence. It's like Weird Al talked. Like, he releases albums at a rate that every album is a comeback album. So whenever we do a three-person episode, it's like the first time every time, which, again, also doesn't work very well for the threesome comparison. <laughs> That's great. That's I love that comparison because that is kind uh -huh. of a little bit like uh, mm -hmm. how I would imagine it would it would be like you know at the very beginning because it is at the beginning you're kind of like trying to work out where everybody's just you know try the one thing I think though is that we try and please our guest so you know it's it's more about making sure that you can talk than than me I don't really care so <laughs> they've heard my paradigm a million times if if they're watching the show you know from other past stuff I guess a lot of people just might pick up this episode but <laughs> and that's kind of interesting because on mates the podcast I try not to have my opinion of mage like interject that much like I'm really here to let the game try and speak for itself mm -hmm. so I try not to be like when I run it this is how the cultist of ecstasy works in my game <laughs> Or, or anything like that. Like, ah, oh, why won't these dream speakers get jobs? Like, like, no one wants to hear that. So, and and then otherwise I'm in the interview position where, where I have a guest. So it's only in going on other shows do I get to talk about like what I think about Mage, which is part of the reason why I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear too, because that was one of the things. Is, I mean, I'm excited to hear about what your projects are and what you're, you've been working on as well. Because um, I don't, it, I've listened, you know, I don't, I'm not like listening to every episode, but I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and I don't get really a lot of like what you're, you know, doing in, in uh, your personal time. Okay. So personal projects that relate to gaming and RPGs. Um, I, I run two table games, um, now virtual. I ran a game of Blades in the Dark uh, and Invisible Sun. My mage game is currently on hiatus while several people have children. I'm glad my players decided to have all their major life changes at once. That was kind of convenient, so I appreciate that. It's like, well, I'm going to get divorced. Well, I'm going to have a kid. Well, I'm going to get a master's degree. I'm like, hey, cool, six months. See, <laughs> see everyone in May. <laughs> um. So I have those table games. I run a few recorded one shots or I'm slowly starting to with the story told uh, specifically one of their hosts, Chaz Kellner, who runs the Fall of Giara, which is a exalted dragon blooded live play. Uh, I am the producer for Systematic Understanding of Everything, which is a show that just tries to explain how exalted works. And I get to be the official idiot on that show, which is great. Um, where it's just like, so what's, so what's an exalted all about? Like, it's like bad Jerry Seinfeld, but in the form of like a podcast airing. Um, and that, that goes out every other week, exaltcast.com. Uh, I do all episode. I, there has only been one episode of Mage the podcast in the past two and a half years that I have not been involved in. <laughs> so I feel comfortable being like. Yeah, I do. I, I am responsible for most of the episodes. So it goes back and forth between uh, Adam and I do book reviews and we try and say how books fit into the emerging continuity of Mage. Uh, as of this recording, we are a, a third of the way into Revised, which was the biggest edition, mm -hmm. like in terms of raw book. And since in Revised, the command from White Wolf is like, bigger book, charge more, picture expensive, word good. Um, it's one of those things where like, the Akashic Brotherhood book describing 
Arcana in first edition was like 40,000 words. In revised, it's 87,000 words. Um, And those 87,000 word book is only like 30 pages longer rather than twice the length because it is almost entirely devoid of pictures. Like reading Dragons of the East, there is 11 pages where it is just dense prose and they are just punishing to do reviews of where it's like can i have a picture i understand it's a lot of topless women but yeah just like my brain could use the break um (laughs) in addition to that i have a few storyteller vault publications that i do when i can uh the the best-selling one has been uh ascension's landscape which is my book on key questions in Mage the Ascension. Uh, you can tell an RPG is cool when someone has to release a fan supplement that's like, here are the basic metaphysical questions you should be able to answer about your world before running the game. It's 45 pages long. So, you know, <laughs> a light read. Um, in addition to that, I'm also working on a SRD, so a system resource or a system, systems reference document for Mage, which is uh, just the systems of Mage. And that process has been absolutely fascinating uh have you ever like moved in with someone you're dating oh yeah yeah absolutely and there's two ways that ends you confirm that you are in love with this person or you cut to somebody just like dragging someone else's shirts outside and lighting them on fire in the driveway there's really only two ways that that goes um and this has been very much the former we're like uh, so, so one of my my favorite rules oddities is to make a hard right turn using the vehicle rules as listed in Mage in a jet fighter at Mach 1.5 requires you to roll a 42 on a 10-sided dice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the way vehicle rules work, there is a max safe speed. There is a safe speed and then a max speed. And for each 10 miles per hour above the safe speed you are going, you add one to the difficulty. The fe- the top speed for like the F-15 they list is Mach 1, and the uh, top speed is Mach 1.5, so that's an additional 500 miles per hour, so it increases the difficulty by 50. Wow. <laughs> so you're like, oh, okay, that that considerably increases the difficulty of that roll. Yeah, but like, how many ways I could lower the difficulty. Um, but, well, I mean, well, the maximum, though, isn't the maximum plus 3 for the difficulty uh, uh, in the end? So when you, when you add additional modifiers, uh, yes, generally, um, but this is this is one of those weird cases where the rules doesn't quite tell you uh, how it's supposed to work. Like one of my favorites things is when you are lit on fire, you roll against stamina, but that is not considered a soak roll, so you can still botch it. Oh. So I I really like that you can botch being lit on fire. Um, that and makes these sense, are just though because if you're stupid yeah. about when you're light, lit on fire, that's uh, that's going to hurt you. Yeah, so this is just a, a big rules reference, and I've done everything but combat and magic. And uh, how how long could those possibly take um, <laughs> in the rules? And I, I hope to have that settled within the next few months, and that'll just be something that'll be available to the public for free. Uh, I, I think to get new people to play Mage, we kind of need four things. We need uh, a, a chronicle that everyone gets to run that somebody else has already figured out. We need a quick reference for everyone we need a thorough rules reference for the storyteller and i think we need a sample actual play so you can see this is how other people ran it um and i think when mage has those four things it will become much more accessible as a game um absolutely i agree 100 percent 
and uh, I, I hope I can help with some or all of them. Um, all of them, I'm, I'm advancing on all of them at the same time, which is to say they are moving at an absolute snail's pace because I'm kind of like spreading over everything. Mm -hmm. I'll, uh, uh, after my next professional exam, I will likely uh, just pick one and be like, SRD, you are mine. Um, but every time I, I, I start focusing it on again, I start wanting to run an online gaming convention more. So we'll see which one of those two things uh, ultimately winds up happening. Uh, and I'm getting ready to start a new podcast after Systematic Understanding of Everything Ends called uh, RPGnomics, which is just about the economics of RPGs. Not like economic systems in RPGs, but um, like how the industry itself works. And oh, I've, I've yeah. Really interesting, actually. Hopefully. Um, one of my one of the things that has that i found interesting is if you go to amazon and you click on the role-playing game category um and you go down from first number one seller to number two seller and so on what is the lowest number at which it is not a generic fantasy supplement and it is not D D or pathfinder um 43. I'm going to have to go with 42. 74. Jeez. So that, that is the first thing that is not a generic fantasy supplement or for Pathfinder or for D&D. And as I think over it again, path, I, that may actually be Pathfinder. But I'm, I'm, you have to get pretty deep before you get anything that's not Wizards of the Coast or generic fantasy. So um, I, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of people making a lot of money. Um, but most people aren't, it's, it's a big, there's a lot of jam, but the piece of bread that we're trying to butter is the size of a football field. And I think some, uh, investigation into what's working and what's not, uh, can be interesting. Like the, the skills required to start your own game company. If you have all of them, you can do almost literally anything else and make vastly more money. So <laughs> I, <laughs> it's just like, oh, you just need to be a good writer and designer and thinker. It's like. And, or you could work for a computer game company and make nine times as much and spend half as long working <laughs> or something yeah. like that. So yeah. or, well, sometimes uh, it is about the passion, you know. It yeah. is just just to bring up uh, an experience that Josh and I have had. Uh, we go to a convention called Midwinter in Milwaukee. Ooh. Uh, mostly a LARP based con, and mm -hmm. there's only a few hundred people that go, but it's one of the main cons that all the people from Onyx Path go mm -hmm. to. And uh, they they do a sit down, and we got to to go to that. I think I went two years in a row, and Josh went to one. And one of the questions that I asked of, of them was like, you know, what's what's the economy here? How much do you like? If I can ask, how much do you guys make? Is it full time? And the thing that really surprised me was that some of the main writers from Onyx Path still had day jobs, mm -hmm. and I was like. Oh, this is not a lucrative world to live in. You have to have a regular job and then on the side, write RPG books. It, it's kind of interesting because my question is always, when a book does well, who benefits? So for instance, art is one of those things where we've all kind of agreed that you always pay the artist. Um, it is easy to cut a writer's rate in half seemingly uh than it is to ask for a piece of spec art to be done at half price uh 
Um, likewise, editors tend to get paid pretty consistently in terms of like a flat rate, uh, regardless of project or project type. Now I'm going to belch and mute myself. Um, but one of the ultimate goals that a lot of writers seemingly have is they're like, hey, this is this is beer league for me coming up with my own property and then making 5% off of every copy sold or something like that. And, and Onyx Path, with the stuff that they sell that is licensed through other people, they don't necessarily have that opportunity. So it, it really makes sense to me that they are aggressively spinning up a lot of their in-house design. Um, and I'm really curious to see where a lot of that stuff goes. Um, but yeah, a lot of people have day jobs, especially if they need medical insurance and they don't have a spouse that can provide that for it. Um, most people in the RPG industry are either independently wealthy from something else, uh, doing it as a side hustle, or have a spouse that is supporting them uh, for doing it. Within the RPG space, if someone's like, how do I make money? My answer would be uh, get into CAD and make add-ons for virtual tabletops. Oh. Um, if Yeah, if someone were to be like, what's the ratio of value to time? Right now, I think that's where it is. Um, I think the next area is... Um, so uh, Roll20 has had a 80% increase in users since March. And there's a couple of ways of interpreting that figure. That could be anywhere from they have 80% more people than they did, then it's an 80% addition to their growth rate. So it could be anywhere between like 40% and 70% of their total usership is, is from this period. Um, and they now have the marketplace where you can sell a module that has already been specced out to work on Roll20 uh, or a supplement or a feature or something like that. Um, and there are people making mortgage payments off of that. Uh, so we are right now in the position where I'm not going to say it's a gold rush, but it seems like the people selling the tools are making more money than the people digging for gold, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Six million users on Roll20. So <laughs> and still no World of Darkness. Uh, no no good world of darkness packages that I have seen partially because uh, I don't know if paradox having licensed them yet, but, uh, but yeah, that would be, uh, that's kind of my to see what's going to happen now that they are underneath paradox actually moving forward. Um, because I know that they got caught in limbo, unfortunately with CCP, which actually is a company that I'm pretty familiar with because I play Eve online. Eve! So... I was uh, very sorely disappointed with the mistreatment of White Wolf because I knew White Wolf well before I knew what the hell EVE Online was. Um, and so it was one of those uh, things that when they got the property, I was really excited that they were going to make a World of Darkness game that was going to be like EVE and then nothing, you know, and they just basically just tore apart, apart the entire company. Um, and that really disappointed me. That was one of the things that uh, I was I was really furious at CCP for doing that. And now that Paradox has it, um, I'm I'm is another company. Paradox I have a little bit more faith in, to be honest. Uh, everything that CCP has tried to do outside of Eve, they have burned to the ground basically. <laughs> and uh, now that Paradox has it, they have a lot of different projects that they do that are really awesome. I'm just I'm not a hundred percent sure how it doesn't seem to be shaking up really well in the beginning here to be honest uh, besides that they released white wolf to do whatever white wolf wants to do which is nice which has now been brought back under paradox after the fury over anarchs and camaria um so that uh, they are back to having pretty strict oversight from white wolf and, and the thing oh, really? the thing that gets me oh yeah um after 
after some poor choices in some of the uh, V5 books that went out, um, White Wolf is no longer its own independent entity. It has been uh, brought back fully in-house. Um, the thing that gets me is, so you're a computer company and you do computer games and you want to do grand strategy. Um, World of Darkness grand strategy is really hard. Um, there are so many moving pieces. There are different lines. There are different splats within those lines. Um, but Exalted is made for grand strategy. There is a finite map that you get to change however you want. Um, it it has the the economic system you can make from whole cloth. Uh, it, it just it just screams out for a tactical or a four X game for me. And that to me is the is is a thing that kind of instills concern in me because like when I look over the properties, the game that falls out the most. Uh, quickly is is that exalted strategy game uh, of some sort and the fact that we haven't heard anything about that kind of makes it feel weird especially because i mean exalted is set up in the 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 uh the age of sorrows uh, mm -hmm. the scarlet empress is gone no one knows what's going to happen well guess what you're now in charge of house pelops and you're going to take over everything but so is house regara and so is house um uh, Venif and so on. I know I know very little about Exalted. I'm almost out of Exalted knowledge, so hopefully there are no follow-up <laughs> questions on that. Um, but I, I also have thoughts on what a mage game could look like. I have ventured the idea of an Archmage dating sim. I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, again, not something that I've seen Paradox necessarily do. Uh, they, they hire Justin Achille. Justin does good stuff, so I hope that is a case of that is the new direction as opposed to Justin being the fall person for that. Um, it, the, the idea, though, of wanting to have the video games lead the continuity is weird just because games take so much longer to produce than a book. Like, it, I think it's one of those things where you should almost do like an edition lock where you say, hey, these are the things in the world that we're not going to change. So if we're going to develop a werewolf video game, these are the things that aren't going to change. So the video game is not going to be out of canon with any of the books that we publish. Uh, but to otherwise let the books continue to be published at a at a fair rate, as opposed to saying we need to hold off on these eleven books because we haven't quite identified the key city that our new uh, vampire visual novel is going to take place in. That to me is kind of a weird choice, but I, I never worked at a video game publisher, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a realm way beyond what I can even think of what what they do. Mm -hmm. and why they do what they do they, they're they more akin to a way that i think of the syndicate to be honest so. well the, the difference is the syndicates are real good at making money off of stuff like <laughs> <laughs> they, they would have that stuff going out like a split so that but, that's my view on things i mean ever since the avatar <laughs> storm things have been really hard on these guys and, and and they just don't quite know how to match it to the new paradigm so they just keep on throwing out whatever they possibly can and it, it seems like a lot of software companies right now, uh, video game producing companies, are burning themselves really bad with the way that the they believe that the the game is going to be received and how it mm -hmm. gets. Like, I mean, Cyberpunk is a perfect example of a, a complete and utter botched just trying to make money that may, probably made them way less money by doing what they did and all that the only reason why you would do what they did is because they thought it would make them more money yeah i i play one video game a year uh I, it used to be two video games and then one of those video games repeatedly was excel at which point I'm like, maybe I need to change this definition so my 2021 game will hopefully be far cry 6 um, and, and so far, those releases have gone out 
pretty okay. I'm at the stage of my life where like, I don't have the ability to dump 12 hours in a week into a game, but I can do four hours a week for an A plus first or third person shooter. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am, but uh, talking, talking about the syndicate, like, and and going back to the idea of paradigms. So in in Mage the Ascension, you have the notion that everyone is right. If somebody gets shot and we need this person to be less shot within the game, um, hyper medicine, folk magic, um, quack remedies, high, highly advanced, uh, cybernetic items, um, or traditional uh, Chinese medicine are all going to be perfectly valid ways of bringing this person from uh, injured back to bruised or what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, And this system has always existed in Mage. And the idea was, there's a thing you believe. And then to make that happen, you have to come up with a justification on how that works. And that forever was referred to as your focus. And it would vary by the spheres, the uh, the way that mages generally break down reality into the, the key types and things that can be affected. Um, and in Mage 20, uh, the, the notion of a paradigm kind of changed. It said, what is the fundamental metaphysical view you have of the universe? Uh, do you believe that there is a God and all things come from them? Uh, do you believe that the capacity of humans is vastly beyond what we think we can actually do and we can truly be limitless, a trademark or whatever whatever one of those um, uh, <laughs> veins of thought is? Um, do you believe that the universe is fundamentally alive? And you are merely interfacing with the idea of of electricity, um, whether it be to charge your cell phone or to call lightning. Do you think that we're in a giant hologram and everything is fundamentally data or written into the uh, edge of a 2D space? Is there some sort of um, jailer that has imprisoned humanity in a wall of its senses and the Ascendant can break out of it? Um, Do you think that we're all kind of screwed and reality is breaking down around us and and this fundamental view of how the world works is referred to as a paradigm um the the way people encounter paradigms most normally i'd say is through either their tradition their magical upraising um or through some sort of community practice so your character may be part of a group that already has picked this if you are part of a evangelical church uh, you believe that the righteous will be able to, uh, depending on the evangelical tr- church, of course, that the righteous will be able to manifest abilities beyond those of mere mortals as a sign of being favored by God. Um, so your character, within the things they could do, would be limited by their spheres and other things that they had seen before performed as miracles that were doable by the righteous. Um On the other end of the spectrum, you could have someone who says, no, 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 these laws of physics keep getting in our way. They don't fully understand the power of homeopathic medicine or orgone accumulators um, or zero point energy. Um, And when I free myself from the shackles of internal consistency, these are all the cool things I can do. That is kind of what the role of paradigm does. Um, And it's hard. It creates a game that I think has the maybe second highest barrier to entry of any of the old World of Darkness games, maybe with the exception of Wraith. Yeah. Like I would say that those two are very good. Uh, the the Wraith Shadow playing in a, in a world that still exists after death, like it's there's a there's a dead wor- like whole society that exists that doesn't interact really much with. 
the, oh yeah the, the living lands like that that took that blew me away when i read that in in wraith and i it, it really took a lot of uh trying to understand the shadow and stuff and then mage paradigm i think yes is the i think the hardest thing for me when i view paradigm one of the main things that i see out of paradigm is this is what limits you this is there's if if everybody just got to do whatever they wanted using their spheres, they'd all be basically what I call the the Star Trek Q paradigm. I I am just a highly enlightened being that can do whatever I want. I am omnipotent, and only people that mess with me are other omnipotent people like me. And all I need to do in order to do any of my magic is snap my fingers. Now, it does seem interesting, though, that almost even in Star Trek they still need to do the snap of their finger or something. You know, it does seem like they actually have to do a physical motion. And when they try and do something and it doesn't work, it's always really fascinating that they don't try anything else. It's just that was the flick of the finger should have worked and it didn't. And I don't understand what's going on. But they, but I feel like that's what a lot of people, when they first start off and they they hear about mage, is they read, read some rules about spheres, which really confuses them just as much, I think. Uh, but once they learn that they can do almost anything, once you have uh, an understanding of different spheres, they're like, okay, now I just want my character to be able to do everything without having to interact with um, paradigm, basically. Mm -hmm. And I, f I find that that's one of the main things of trying to get people to realize is that your character... Uh, one of the ways that I try to do it is I try to say, well, look at any TV show. Okay, John Wick. John Wick, I could see as being a mage. He's he's got a lot of abilities, but if, if John Wick just tore open a hole in the universe um, and and teleported through it, you immediately go, well, that's not John Wick. I'm not watching John Wick anymore. Like, John Wick can't do that. Um, now, if you built up a whole story of why John Wick learned how to rip open a thing in, in, in the universe, then that kind of would make sense. But it is one of those things that this is what limits you, and you've got to kind of jump onto that. But it also allows you to really get a good idea of what your character can do. You know, because John Wick is, you could have high level time, high level correspondence, stuff like that, but only allow you to do some things. It doesn't allow you to do all the things that those fears say that you have the ability to do. Yeah, and, and let's take the example of John Wick and dive into it. So if you were to ask me what group is John Wick a part of, um, I would consider John Wick to be a neo-pagan. Oh. And quite simply. Um, so you have the paradigmatic belief in a lot of contemporary pagan circles that say, I want to affect change in the universe. There are entities that manifest the properties that I want to take unto myself. I will investigate them and I will use my occult toolbox to gain those powers. John Wick is the embodiment of the uh, the dark action hero. Um, so a neo-pagan character uh, would look at that and say, it is obvious that this is a manifestation of a universal archetype. The fact that this uh, deadly badass Jason Bourne like figure keeps recurring indicates that there is something within the human collective subconscious that yearns for this character to exist. I will take upon myself the mantle of that character. And in doing so, I will be able to uh, leverage my knowledge of not the physics of um, 
of school textbooks, but the intuitive physics that humans believe the universe should show, uh, that you should be able to shoot a gas tank and cause it to explode, um, and, and so on, um, that you are taking on that mythic archetype. And that is just one example of a weird paradigm, or pardon me, a reasonable paradigm that can get you to a weird place. Uh, within the game, those things are referred to as mythic threads, um, and traditionally were used to be like, oh, of course, the prince will always be able to get through the final battle to save the princess. And I could use that to an invoke effect in game that would allow me to take exceptional amount of damage. If I'm going up against uh, my final boss, if I'm trying to slay a chimera or a dragon or a manticore or something like that. And I've shown purity uh, that that's referred to in game as uh, in invoking a mythic thread. The modern version of that is referred to as a hyper narrative. Um, oh, yes, a, uh, um, yeah, yep. a mimetic belief. And that is just a takeoff of, uh, of traditional mythic threads. So that, that is why I call John Wick a neo-pagan. Um, mm -hmm. It could also be an NWO operative that is taking advantage of what the society wants. It could also be a syndicate member that is leveraging their understanding and control of, of media. It could be a society of ether member who believes that they have tapped into, um, as I said, the subtle physics that rules entities of this type that allows this badass stuff to occur uh, it could be a hollower who is literally taking on the mantle of batman and using it kind of as a subversion of worshiping the epic hero uh or or, or something like that um but as you said john wick can't tear open a hole in reality um john wick can't perform miracles john wick can't spontaneously heal themselves or other people they are they are quite limited in that and, and here you get these interesting paradigms that do a whole bunch of really cool stuff at a base level. Um, but what does time five look like for that character? So it's one of those things where it kind of informs the development of the character. And one of the things that I, I kind of don't like about M20, uh, and this probably would have changed if we'd gotten a lot more books, is uh, Revised really emphasizes growing beyond your paradigm. That at some point you say, hey, this belief is a framework. How do I want to modify it to reflect how I think the world works? Um, and the problem is, how do you do that without turning into Q, as you've mentioned, where you just kind of snap your fingers and change the world? Um, I don't have a good answer to that. And if I did, I would pitch myself to be the writer for M5. So, um, uh, yeah. I do have an idea on that, actually. Shoot! Um, because I feel like one of the things that's really lacking in Mage, actually, is the... Um, building out at least one character and i would love to see a lot of this in the whole concepts behind once like in the beginning of mage you might have a couple of items here and there that you just call foci and stuff but i mean after a while you're gonna have a bunch of trinkets you're gonna have or a bunch of gadgets or you mm -hmm. know these just items that you're going to be having that are going to elevate you to to the next level where you're not going it's not about just snapping your fingers it's about i have basically every item that I need in order to perform almost all of my tasks at this point. And I, I feel like gadgets or I, I feel like gadget or devices and, and wonders kind of took over the concept of that's item creation. When there was this whole other sub level of creating, like if I just want a bulletproof vest, I don't need, a, I, that's not a wonder, um, but they call it a wonder in the background um, of the book and it, and it confuses it, it confused a lot of my players at least and myself in the very beginning when I tried to come up with the concept of how do you make a potion how do you make a, a, a vest of that's really impervious and really it's just matter 
too, you know, Matt, or, um, you know, life, I think there's an argument you could make, but life one or life two or three that you would need to make a healing potion. Um, but in the beginning, you know, a lot of my players were like, well, you have to have prime in order to do that because it says here in order to make any kind of magical item, you have to have prime. And then it has to follow this whole rule set about how it has spheres and its own arete. And it's like, well, that kind of confused a lot. And I think that, uh, when M20 came out, I really liked that they added, or I don't know if it's really added, but they really emphasized a little bit more, I think, in the source book that there's gadgets and, or there's, uh, yeah, gadgets and trinkets that are mm -hmm. created and that they, they are a separate level. And I feel like um, as you start developing and getting bigger, you should have access to an insane amount of items, basically, that should be something that should be part of your character and should be well understood that these are the magics that you have running on your character at all times that are bringing it down, uh, making it more difficult for you to have because you have active effects on you to bring So things become more difficult for you to be able to do. So you are required to have all of these items do stuff for you because you want to have the ability to, nobody can find me. Nobody can break my mind. Nobody can, you know, you have to have all these built up effects on you and you can't do magic basically anymore. You have to have trinkets and wonders to do your actions actually once you get to a certain level, I, I feel like. Okay. Uh, so let's lay out some, some definitions. A, a trinket is a magically enhanced item. Your, your bulletproof vest example, your, your jacket that is able to stop a bullet. Uh, a gadget is a one-time use item like that. Your, your healing potion. Um, so it is, it is then your, your statement that you think that um, most mages to operate in the world against other mage agents are going to have a bunch of effects that are running constantly, um, like something to obscure where they are, uh, something to make them harder to kill, um, something to make it hard to, uh, to mentally intrude upon the character. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, my table game goes the other direction. Um, because I, I don't like the idea of having to do that kind of accounting. Mm -hmm. And that encourages a very, and this is an entirely legitimate way to play mage. The glory of mages, it is not intrinsically much of anything genre-wise. Like, mm -hmm. of the Old World of Darkness games, I don't think it's a horror game. I think it's just urban fantasy. Oh, yeah. Like, I, yeah. Um, it, it takes place in a world that kind of sucks. <laughs> Although I always find it interesting that like the level of technology in the world of darkness is always the same. And also no one in the world of darkness, based on all of the, um, the lines and veil sheets I've ever figured out, uh, no one ever has to deal with like personal assault. The cops are relatively nice and no one ever kicks dogs. So like, in what way is this world of darkness actually darker? This is <laughs> like, can we get, can we visit? Like, I'd like to see how this, but, um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the other way to me to take it is is a game where mages are generally free agents operating in the world and it's a bit more action adventure-y mm -hmm. um, where you don't necessarily have those effects running or you figure it out ahead of time or an innovation I think a lot of games have made. Um, I, I play Invisible Sun and this is one of the things I like about Invisible Sun. You can almost always retreat and then like regroup and try again. Um, but the fact that you and I have completely different ways of running the game and we still create something our players enjoy, I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness of the game. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I've always imagined moving towards that, but I actually, the way I play Mage is mm -hmm. definitely, we uh, accounting is very low. 
You don't, <laughs> and truthfully, no, none of my players put. I, I put my NPCs with that kind of level of of mm-hmm. thought and power. My players, for the most time, don't have any uh, any kind of thing that stops somebody from reading their mind or or you know doing any you know bad things to them magically. Um, and they don't account for, and I, I do find that uh, for the most part, it is more fun to have mage just be a very willy nilly have fun, um, you know, just run with it type kind of game. Um, and that's yeah. what I've done a lot truthfully with it. Now, I've always imagined that you could do D and D like accounting for because I mean, like for a wizard in D and D, you have like all this accounting that you have to basically mm-hmm. do. And I always imagine like that's that's kind of what you would have at a higher level. Um, but the play is actually much more fun, like you said, when you're just running with it and you're just trying to, you know, you run into a situation, let's figure out what spheres and how I'm going to perform my magic at this time. Um, in fact, actually, I've been really horrible about knowing rotes or having my players know any rotes. They just always are making up stuff on the fly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the tricky part. We run into these weird places where um, you have two different people talking about mage. And sometimes I will hear horror stories from LARP where people are like, we don't let mages in. They're too powerful. I'm like, do you know how easy it is to shoot a mage? <laughs> like, we get seven health levels and uh, the assassin archetype from the Euthanatos uh, uh, splat book with no further augmentation can easily do 15 dice of damage that kills you twice it kills you then it kills you uh and, and you are claiming that we are overpowered but yeah it is it I is mean, it is tough if, if you um, set up yourself so that you're all defended against uh, yeah. all this you know if you do that crazy th- you know a play- mage player walks in and is like i want to be all this and then Depending on uh, some alerts are, you know, you get like a, a massive amount of experience when you first start off. So it's like, oh, I can build my character to be impervious to all of this and be ready to just break your plot. Um, but truthfully, low level and majority of mages are, like you said, just you, literally a gun is, is more than enough to terrify them. Uh, uh, and on the f- other end of the spectrum, it is not re- unreasonable that a starting mage would have the ability to use a mind a two or mind three effect to influence the way in which an entire city were to develop. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, so it is one of that, one of those things where it's really hard to do that fragile game. Um, and how as storytellers, do we, do we prevent that kind of turtling? And, and one of the tools I like to use as we talk about paradigm is characters like I'll open a portal for my sanctum and fireball my enemy. Okay. That's fine. My next statement as a storyteller is now, um, if you can do it, literally every other mage with those spheres can more or less do it. Mm-hmm. And now what does the world of mage look like when it's just a whole bunch of mages fireballing each other from their sancta? Right. Th- then suddenly we have this game where it's like, okay, step one, uh, conceal yourself real good, find another mage, and then fireball the living stuffing out of them. Like, is that a game I want to play? I think the answer is no, but like, as I say it out loud, do I want to play um, Arcane Portal Fireball Hero? Maybe at least once. And I think the answer is yes, maybe. Um, so so it, it, as you're playing Mage, that's that's one thing I try and keep in mind. When a player says, can I do this? And my response is always, what do you think the world looks like if everyone else with those fears can also do that? 
because at, at the end of the day, like I can kind of guess what it's like to be a vampire just because it's like a human, but deader. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I can kind of guess what it's like to be a werewolf because I've seen lacrosse players before, but like with mage, it is not unreasonable to use better mind, which is a intelligent, which is a mind one ability to improve my own intelligence as someone with like three dots of intelligence do I have any idea what it's like to be someone with four dots of intelligence? Heck no. Um, <laughs> and that kind of remoteness also becomes like a role-playing problem. Um, but yeah, when trying to navigate these issues of, parad- uh, of paradigm, my first thing is always, what's it like if everyone else gets to do it too? Yeah, it's a, I think that's a really good good point. Um, and that's and that's where I kind of... Um, Mage, to me, um, is the one game that at the beginning of it, I, I loved the whole concept of, of Mage, and I immediately was like, okay, Mages would know about vampires and werewolves and, and, and Wraith, and, and people would know about Mages, and you know, or like, you know, the, the vampires would know about Mages and stuff, because of course they would hear about this stuff, or their buddy would tell them, eventually, you know, the sires, you know, if you go through 400 years, eventually he's going to meet a Mage, and he's going to learn, you know, from that Mage, not a book, but the person of you know eventually you're going to run into somebody that's going to spill the beans on what a tradition is and stuff and if you're interested in that stuff you could you could figure it out so i believed in this kind of society that had everybody knowing about each other and the more and more i got into mage i was like okay now i know the only weapon that the only defense against everything that's in this book is secrecy why does why can't I fireball somebody else's sanctum? Because you don't know where the hell it is and you'll never be able to find it. In fact, you probably only know three or four other mages, you know, that there's there's not big schools. You know, maybe if you go to uh Doisetep and, you know, a couple other places might have some bigger schools. But really mages for the most part are there's a few and far between and nobody knows about them, not even other mages. Like, everything's really hard to, to learn. Um, and the more that you make it that way, the more that it's hard to do anything um, because you just don't know anything. Oh, yeah, it's some real cloak and dagger shit. And it's one of those things where the systems don't necessarily support it. Like, mm-hmm. with Correspondence 3, um, it increases the number of... It increases the difficulty for me to track someone down if I want to. But, like, I think it should hit a level of difficulty where like to find an arbitrary person i need 10 or 20 successes like Mm -hmm. i I just think the game kind of breaks down if everyone has like magical fine people satellite dishes uh nwo first edition mainar cough like (laughs) (laughs) you (laughs) i just don't think that's an interesting way to run the game likewise i don't think you should be able to use prime to detect a mage i also don't think you should be able to detect a vampire with um life plus matter um like <laughs> this this isn't dungeons and dragons if we're suddenly if mages are suddenly the only people that can cast like detect werewolf i'm like this is this is a real weird game all of a sudden so i i totally agree with the the secrecy thing and i wish the the systems kind of supported that a, a little bit more mechanically um, I, I feel they you're right they just don't give us a really good um the only thing i can think of is mage gives you warding at level one of a sphere that you could throw on like a thousand successes but then you have mm-hmm. like, you have that problem of accounting you have to yeah you know, and burdening yourself with mm-hmm. 40 different spheres or magical effects on yourself so that you don't have somebody look at you and and all of a sudden you're you know dominated 
Yeah, and then you need to run a magical effect to conceal the fact that you are running a magical effect. And <laughs> and you're like, well, this is this is like fun, but the opposite. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> yep. So it, it it becomes one of those that you have to you have to do a certain level of suspension of disbelief. Um, yeah. Just because the technocracy has the ability to technically track down every single vampire and mage and mortal using a satellite and just murder everybody from outer space um that that doesn't happen not necessarily because it can't happen but because it just that's stupid yeah <laughs> and i'm a big fan of modifying the system to make it the game that i think makes more sense so for me avatars in some way shape or form give you a sense of intuition uh where you always get to roll against that vampire who's trying you where you always get to notice that a wraith is using inhabit i can't remember which one is the i'm taking over your car and which uh, i'm taking over your sister um like yeah embody inhabit it, the, yeah body yeah i think it's embody is that one and then inhabit is the puppetry 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 no th the, that's you don't actually take it over though i think that's just uh dang yeah that's <laughs> yeah it's anyway, over. actually, we're it's trying a... to get into a game of, of Wraith, actually, uh, and starting to have some ideas behind it. So, but best named powers in the game, like the spheres are kind of cool, but like intimation, nimnesis, um, uh, uh, what's the uh, the go place? Argos, Argos, um, I, I love I just, Argos, usury. I think they're all so well named, life web, castigate. You're just like, ah, yep. <laughs> I also like that they went the direction of we're going to base everything on Greek when possible. I, to me, Greek just makes things sound more badass. Um, oh, yeah. Like, so uh, stupid fact. Um, there are a lot of people out there that dislike when a word's origin mixes Greek and Latin uh, together. Um, and people are like, oh, it shouldn't be it, it, it shouldn't be polyamory. It should be polyphilia or multiamory or something like that. And you're like, nerd, of which I am one. But um, another word that does that is automobile. Um, it should either be ipsomobile or autokineticon. And I think um, I'm going to take a drive in my autokineticon makes you sound like both the lamest and coolest person at the same time. But that is just me. So, yeah, but the first I, time somebody said automobile, somebody was like, what the hell are you talking about? Exactly. So we could replace it with autokineticon. Yeah. <laughs> autokineticon. Yeah. Awesome. A Entropy yeah. 5. <laughs> One of the uh, running kind of things between me and Josh is that I've always been a pronunciation nerd. Okay. Because uh, I grew up watching so much television that like Hollywood English is just second nature to me uh and so when i got i started getting into rpgs especially ones that have all these weird words in them you know i have a very solid idea of how these things are supposed to be pronounced uh in fact the the one that really gets me all the time is entropy how do you say it josh Ent i say entropy or what do i what, how do i did you say entropy at some point entropy yes entropy. Entropy. Eh. And, I, and i would uh I correct him but then i remember i i basically figured out over time that it's like at some point you have to realize that people pronounce things differently and you just have to be okay with it yes and i'm sure you've had that uh that experience as well uh nothing brings out the fury in one's audience like mispronouncing something 
Um, I, <laughs> I could declare myself a proud boy and I would probably get less crap than when I purportedly mispronounce uh, Kurtamain or Kirktaman or Curtainmain or, or, or something like that, whatever a mystic duel is called. Um, there is, I don't think, any house in the Order of Hermes that Adam and I say the same way. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, and I, I'm hor. I'm like I'm horrible. I'm I'm literally I'm I'm dyslexic. So I reading for me is one of those like uh, it's a guessing game sometimes mm-hmm. for what a word really is. And as long as I'm communicating, I feel like I'm I'm doing a good job. I'm just happy that you understood what I'm saying. But I always say, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, Qu- uh, Quint or Quin? Quin- you say quiescence. Quiescence. quiescence instead of yes. quintessence. When it's uh, obviously quintessence. Well, the the only problem with quiescence is that is a different thing, um, and it is a mechanic that exists in awakening. So quiescence and awakening is the equivalent of Mage the Ascension's unbelief. Um, I called it quasi-essence for years, completely ignoring several of the letters <laughs> that are found within there. So uh, you you are fine. Uh, I said uh, progenitor uh, instead of progenitor. Um, what are the other big ones uh, for me? So Zemisi, um, how did, did you, so. Uh, yeah, I say Zemisi too. Um, so I, I don't yeah. know how, but we actually did say Zemisi and I remember somebody running into somebody and they said, uh, Zemese, and I was like, what? I don't know what that is. The, uh, <laughs> the guys over at, uh, 25 years of vampire actually had an, a discussion about this where, because, uh, like I said, everything was in text before you heard it. And so all these people had weird pronunciations, and one of the one of the pronunciations of Zamisi was Shamasai. Shamasai, yeah. that was it. yeah. It's like how the hell? It's no. it's it's a transliterated word. Uh, friend of the show, uh, Charles Siegel, is fond of pointing out that Janus is a not unreason. Jan and I, C E is a not unreasonable way apparently of translating whatever the proper he- spelling of the Hebrew Hanukkah is. Um, oh, yeah. So <laughs> there there are eight ways to spell it. There are different. Uh, ways of representing words i don't care uh the only one i am militant about um is uh z-i-g-g apostrophe r-a-u-g-l-u-r-r apostrophe r um the ziggurgler like i <laughs> i have strong feelings about the appropriate way to pronounce that you need to choke on your own tongue a little bit as it gets towards the end and if you're not doing it it's it's like saying loch and lock the same way just <laughs> um so <laughs> And you kind of have to wiggle your head back and forth. I remember the first time our producer um, w- was taking notes for one of the shows. And they're like, can you spell ziggurgler? <laughs> and I think they were using uh, speech to text. So it's like, can you spell ziggurat? And I'm like, oh, you probably want ziggurgler. And uh, yeah. And at this point, I have written that on my phone so many times. Zigzag gets turned into ziggurgler zag. Whenever I am like texting someone, uh, not that zigzagging comes up too often, but uh, I, I am pleased where that, that that is my proof of cred. Like I don't have a giant prime tattoo on my back, but I, I do have that. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, uh, you, you must have well, some. I'm, I'm glad that we got to talk about pronunciation, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I also find it interesting that I will change my pronunciation live when I start thinking about it. Uh, in my head, it is always Camarilla. Um, 
but when I'm talking to someone, there's roughly a 50-50 chance that I will say Camarilla or Camarilla. Um, likewise, when I'm talking about the traditions, uh, in my head, it's always the Akashics. But when I'm saying it out loud, there's a 50-50 chance that I'll say Akashiana or Sahajia or uh, Kavadi or something like that, any of the, the alternatives. And I haven't quite figured out the rules. I think it is just my brain spiting me. So uh, so uh, feel, feeling you, Josh, on that one. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, I I never imagined myself as being an orator when I was a kid at all, just because of my inability to pronounce things. I was always like really crappy in English and shit. But I'm just creative enough that I can just barge right through that shit. Like, well, also part of it is people who read well and people who say words out loud aren't necessarily the same people. Um, there's a couple different ways that the human uh, that humans interpret words. Uh, one is by recognizing letters uh, and then by quickly assembling the gestalt into a proper word. Other people do it literally based on word shape um, and they see the shape and that elicits the word response in the head. People who read like that are easily thrown off by changes in font that they are not used to, um, especially if it's in writing and like instead of doing the A the way we might do it by hand, you use that weird A that I can never quite draw it correctly. Yep. Um, or you have the fancy F script or something like that, or you have frontis letters or something or block text or something like that. Uh, people like that are often very good at reading quickly, but when they're asked to read out loud, they are internalizing the word fundamentally differently than other people are. So people will get the impression that they are bad at reading because they're bad at reading out loud. And that is a fundamentally different skill set. Weird things I learned from dating a speech language pathologist 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> so, and it, likewise, there are some people that can always make out music lyrics and other people who can't. Um, some people know what a word is by focusing on the vowels and other people know what a word is by focusing on the consonants. And since music is generally sung through, you don't get a lot of consonants in there. You don't get word breaks to easily identify it, which is why I never know what the lyrics are. Um, where other people are like, oh, this is so easy to sing along to. You're a vowel-based listener. So, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah I'm a there's... very consonant based. Like, I, I grab on mm -hmm. to almost ex the beginning of the word, uh, like mm -hmm. first letter of a word, especially if it's a consonant, just like informs me everything I need to know about mm -hmm. that word. And, oh my God, does that bite me? so bad when i read because I, i'm i also like when i read i usually read like three times so the first time if i'm trying to read out loud it's the first read through and oh that's just not gonna be good <laughs> oh yeah and there are a lot of people like you and it is just a different way of interfacing with the text um anyone who tells you that you are bad at reading because that is the way you do it you're not <laughs> well thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> But then there are those jerks out there that can read like 1,200 words a minute and just like glance over a page and I just kind of shake my fist at those people. Oh, man. So. I envy, envy for sure. Lots of envy and anger then too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Another interesting place that we get into with Paradigm is the problem of representing real world beliefs where uh so one of the things that happened is in first edition mage paradigms were truer kinds of truth and the human belief was a pale imitation of that uh for instance the one e euthanatos that tradition was responsible for the invention of the idea of reincarnation mm -hmm. like their belief in the wheel mortals found it misunderstood it and came up with reincarnation right yep 
in and there's a bunch of other ones that everyone had um the celestial chorus had like the real religion <laughs> and everyone else was kind of doing a pale imitation of it virtual adepts had enlightened computers and out the the rest of the computer world was just like a crappy imitation of it the society of ether had a more sciencey science than everyone else and even like the hermetics were like more wizardy wizards than what everyone else thought of um and then in second edition as that comes along we take the turn and we say no mages are informed by their cultures maybe they are able to extend it in a way that other people aren't um revised kind of changed that to say that there is a truth embedded within all cultural practices but we can extend and modify those as is necessary uh, because magic is something that is very intimate um and with 20th edition it kind of takes that turn back to it being kind of a cultural thing um and to some extent i want my games informed by the cultures that the characters are representing but at the same time do i want someone at my table to accurately depict the sacred practices of the hopi i don't know if i'm comfortable with that in the sense that like that's some other group of people's sacred stuff mm -hmm. like it just seems weird to be using that as part of a role-playing game yeah, like it's uh so i just listened to the alibatane um mm -hmm. episode that you guys did and i thought that that it was really weird that they uh, because normally they're like the mortals do their thing and then the mages just kind of follow suit um and are and are you know a sh offshoot of this but when they were like well we made the muslim religion the i was like w what like you you can't do that like exactly I mean, you just you can't <laughs> like that's stupid for you to i mean you can do the offshoot i could see but you got to be I, I you always have to be really careful when especially when we're a bunch of western assholes truthfully that just you know push our paradigm onto the entire world it's really hard for um you'd be justified in just grabbing other people's culture and just being like oh i'm just going to make this up into some you know magical weird thing that you know is is what i'm gonna run with it's like you you gotta be respectful i feel i feel um especially you know like also the gypsy or the uh um roma yeah roma um the but the uh ravenos like how they were a horrible representation of the roma it was horrible um <laughs> the best clan <laughs> oh man just what they did with with the Ravnos and Beckett's Jihad Diary, I wanted a book on that. Where uh, I, I don't know, are, are, are you too conversant at all with uh, BJD? Um, so I definitely um, did. Um, I, I bought Beckett's Diary. Um, I've gotten through about halfway through it right now, um, but I mm -hmm. have not got to the point of, of the Ravnos. So I'm interested to hear this, though. How about you, Moto? Uh, no, I haven't read any of it. So it follows Beckett. Um, my key insight into it is I got bored and I counted the number of paper clips that are in the book and it's like 371, which indicates that this book would be like, uh, for, for people who are listening on audio, Terry is depicting the size of the Manhattan phone book. Um, like that's, that's a lot of papers clip. Um, but so Beckett's flying around the world and updating the meta plot and all the mage fans are like, damn it, stupid vampire people get meta plot and they have yeah. a world with characters that advances over time in interesting and sometimes stupid ways, but on, on the whole enjoyable, which is why it generally has a larger payer place. Also, you get to be immortal and sexy. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's a part where uh, you have uh, Hazamel 
the one-eyed fourth gen Ravnos whose eye caused like an entire series of novel to occur from just their eye. And apparently it's an eye that causes you to commit genocide, which is okay. That's a thing. But anyway, in Beckett's Jihad Diary, um, it's um, so Zapathosora has died. You have the week of nightmares. There's like nine Ravnos vampires left. Um, And uh, Chandraputra is like, ah, shit, we found the eye. Time to open, uh, wake up uh, Hazamel because we have to deal with the kindred of the East. And they they find Hazamel in in their uh, shrine. And the entire time, Beckett is like, this place is super powerful. And then Hazamel opens up and he's like, hi, everyone. And Beckett's like, I can hear you in my nads. Um, and then Hazamel is like, Chandra Putcher, I hate you. And Chandra Putcher's like, I hate you too, but we're mostly dead. And Beckett's like, I can still hear both of you in my nads. Um, like, this is how loud and vampire strong these people are that Beckett's like freaking out in the background as these two uh, fourth gen vampires are talking about how they're going to change things. And then they do the scene where it's like, I don't like you and I don't like you either, but we have to drop some pain on these kindred of the East, uh, both using like Clint Eastwood vo- voices. And then, uh, Hazamel gets gets their eye back and it's like, thank you. I am going to give Beckett the gift of ultimate wisdom and like pokes him in the forehead and he goes like screaming into the night, um, uh, like full of prophecy. I'm like, yes, I want this vampire clan. <laughs> and that was just my experience of the whole thing, which I found I found pleasing. Um, I asked the developer why there were so many um suddenly lost the word paperclips uh and the canon response from matt dawkins is that gangrel take aggravated damage from cellophane tape so uh i I assume that will make its way into fifth edition at some point but bjd was was amazing like if we ever get amanda jensen's ascension diary like something like that i i will literally donate one of my lightly used organs to see that happen so if anyone wants to dev that and needs a kidney we we can see if we can make that happen. I'm just putting that one out there. Anyway, that's my aside on on my love of the Ravnos. Um, and when they release the new symbols for it, they're like, why are there six spokes on the Ravnos thing? I'm like, that's one for each remaining member of the clan. Um, and people momentarily thought that was funny. But anyway, that's, that's an aside on that. The rest of Vampire, I'm like, I don't get it. But Ravnos, they're my boys! <laughs> At least once you hit revised. <laughs> yeah. Prior to that, yeah, it was... Uh, it was dumpster rough. fire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it just takes a. I, I, I think that it's it. It takes a lot of. Um, they did. It, it was amazing that they did so much research on cities, on history, on backgrounds, and then sometimes when they jump into cultures, they're just like, well, research is hard. So let's just uh, let's just run with a Western point of view. Um, but I think in the end. Um, I, a lot of it for me is, you know, it all goes back to, are you having fun? And if you're offending somebody, then I don't think that's fun. Um, mm-hmm. So you try, you know, you try and bring your game over to, um, you edit out the stuff that you don't think is, uh, and those are easy edits um, to be done by a GBM. You don't, you mm-hmm. know, if, if you don't want to misrepresent the Ravenous, you don't even need to bring them into your game. They're an independent, you know, clan that might never even see the light of day in your in your game. But if you love them, bring them in. Just bring them in right. Yeah, my, my recommendations for that on Mage are one: uh, if you're spending time with a culture you are not familiar with uh, and not associated with, find out what that culture considers sacred and don't touch it. 
Um, they may have a, uh, a sacred cast or entity or uh, time of the year that is their holy of holies, their thing beyond other things. No reason to touch it. Um, just just skip that, John. Uh, there are a number of indigenous cultures where there is a certain animal that is quite simply sacred and in a way that they choose not to interact with it. I don't want that to appear in my magic. I, I feel like that violates that intent, that taboo. Um, my, my second recommendation is uh, try and make the cultural representation somewhere between one-thirds and two-thirds accurate. Like, you don't want to hit 100%, at which point, like, you don't want to have characters reading necessarily straight out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead or something like that, or reading the entirety of, like, the sacred versions of the Prosetta or something like that. Mm -hmm. Try and make it so there's uh, there's a magey version of it. Like, one of my favorite examples of this is um, IPv5, or, IP, pardon me, IPv4, um, was the most you could have was a set of, what was it, four 8-bit numbers. Um, so you ultimately had a 32-bit address space. In the Virtual Adept book, the numbers they use suggest that mages use a 48-bit address space. So, like, you have the you have all the mundane internet, and then you got the mage that's above that. Mm -hmm. um, and I do the same thing in my games. I have a character who is a essentially an atheist chorister. Uh, he believes in the power of religion and the community that it creates. He thinks that is God, that all of our belief together is divinity that god is us um so there is no external thing to which that character prays uh that character has other saints that are not part of the mainline christian mm -hmm. canon that they've researched that said uh this is the patron saint of matter based on this miracle that i was able to find for someone who wasn't canonized this is the patron saint of prime uh based on this legend that i was able to find um likewise i have a dream speaker character who is a white guy um, and has found certain cultures that, that was around their area and is like, okay, these are the gods that are within the culture. I'm going to create the thing that is next to that that the mages would interface with. And maybe half the time I will weave in something. Um, so change it a bit. Like my whole theory on this is when people are like, oh, this isn't the exact cultural practice. I get it. The role of a role-playing game, I think, I think games like Old World Darkness are at their best when you go from, I didn't know this culture existed to I know this culture existed and I know an eensy-beensy bit about it. And if I do literally any Googling about it, I will quickly find out what is true and what is false. And when you say, hey, this was presented wrong, that actually means two things. One, you now know that that culture exists. Two, you now know the right thing. Mm-hmm. And neither of those would have happened uh, if you hadn't had that first cultural encounter through that role-playing game. So people who kind of demand that an RPG bring you from ignorance to doctorate, I think that's a bit much. Right, um, it's a stone of... of yeah. You know, I mean, it's fantasy. It's, it's just like movies and television and books and every... I mean, Western culture is filled with horrific, uh, you know, telling of tales of old and, and great telling of tales of old where they eventually went back and they were like, you know, maybe we should try and retell this and make it actually, you know, more truthful to the way that, uh, um, I feel like there's been some recent, uh, like, um, mythology that has mm -hmm. ha like recently in movies and stuff like that. They've, uh, gone from being, I feel like the nineties and the early two thousands where there was a lot of really, let's just, 
run with whatever and we'll just call different gods whatever we want to call them we'll make hades be evil um we're making hera evil in the hercules type stuff like um i feel like that's something that uh, maybe i'm wrong actually I, I don't know where i feel like there's at a point where we've been trying to get better at that though not necessarily that we've been succeeding but i feel like yeah. society has been trying to get better at that kind of stuff oh yeah we're more aware of it and it's one of those things where uh it is easier to develop your critical capacity. You realize that something is wrong faster than you learn how to fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there will be that phase where hopefully we recalibrate. And as pertains to mage, I think two of the messiest areas are um, synchronization, where you have one culture who believes something and another culture that has partially adopted that practice. Um, and one of the problems that we run into in mage is often secretization is a process whereby somebody oppressed by somebody else is like, well, we're not allowed to worship our thing. So we're going to like use your version of it. That way you don't shoot us. Mm -hmm. um, so on one end, it's like, Oh, cool. We have this new cultural practice where we're going to map the, um, the, the Igbo and the Yoruba legend onto the Christian saints, because if we worship anything else, you're going to beat us. Um, so that has created a new cultural practice, which is a live and well, but how do we deal with the origin of that? And do we want characters going, oh, you saw Papa Legba, I saw St. Christopher or something like that. I, I, I don't recall the um, the mappings off the top of my head. Um, but there are other cases where we're perfectly fine with it, like the fact that the Romans and the Greeks uh, kind of jammed their faiths together to m make it work. Right. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite examples of this is... Uh, the Romans didn't really have a god of the ocean. To them, it represented primordial chaos. What kind of idiot would go out in the boat beyond the sight of shore? Um, so when they were uh, assimilating uh, the, the Greek pantheon into their worship, because they're like, you know what's great? Old shit. You know what's older than us? The Greeks. <laughs> um, they, they took Neptune, who was like a stream god, <laughs> and he got promoted to the big leagues. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting because so, greeks were always like this guy was like you know up there with zeus and those guys like right away at the beginning whereas the mm -hmm. greek romans are you know oh well yeah this, like this yeah little guy we're gonna promote him <laughs> well that was the closest that they had they're like yeah that represents the primordial chaos and this is strictly a story i heard from a folklorist so if i am wrong i apologize and that's another thing you get really good at saying when you play mage <laughs> like, oops i was wrong and the other one I think that I also struggle with are the hermetics because like their whole thing is like, yeah, the Egyptians were great. We don't care about their culture, their people, their practices. We want to steal their magic. Yeah. We, we want their alphabet and we want their cool stuff. And that's kind of what real world hermetics did, like wildly misinterpret things. And I'm always like, do I want that at my table? <laughs> Well, I mean, I like, guess the hermetics are always, you know, that's that's they're similar to like uh, the Tremere and stuff for some people, uh, you know, is that they're the assholes like that just stole that steal their everybody's shit and just makes it their own. And then calls not only did they steal it and take, make it their own, they say that they are the ones who invented it. Yeah, they're the ones who figured out the true power behind it. And the only reason the other group gets to do it is through their thing. The thing, though, that I think is good about both vampire and mage is, yeah, they are an asshole they are not 
the yeah. asshole. Mm -hmm. uh, like in some games, you're like, oh, everyone thinks this group is the jerk. Or you'll have like a show that has the pilot where people are like, oh, people don't like this character. And suddenly the character gets nicer. Uh, Mage, instead of like filing the edges off, is like, oh, they think the hermetics are assholes. Well, we'll show them assholes. And then they in introduce like the Wulung, the Toftani, mm -hmm. um, the Syndicate. <laughs> and they're like, nobody has monopoly on being a dick in our world. And you're like, I guess that's a type of equality. I'm glad. <laughs> so The Toftani always made me, or uh, I, I liked your one statement on the, the concept of how they were like, the how, how, and I kind of agree with them, how are the traditions following all the rules of the of the technocracy and fighting at the same time? Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to obey the rules of reality, but the only way to get reality to to not be so static and so technologically backed is to actually show that there are miracles and that they, that you can heal people through mystical potions of ancient, you know, uh, you know you know scrolls or whatever you know you've got all this kind of stuff but they don't they don't actually go out and do it and they tell their members not to in the Taftani are like well i'm gonna go out in a blaze of fireball like i'm just gonna go out and you know i'm gonna do some crazy magical thing that proves that magic is real and they're the paradox and uh you know Pro well, that's one thing though isn't paradox gonna cover up a lot of that already for the oh. technocracy so no. One of the things is Paradox is not like the Veil. It is not like the Shroud. It is it is not like the Mists. It doesn't cover things up. It makes the thing that caused them go away because they're like on fire now. Um, the technocracy is pretty good at convincing that people that, oh, what you actually saw was swamp gas or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it is not like werewolf delirium, where uh, if there is a paradox explosion that occurs after a mage pulled off something else vulgar, the mortals still saw what they saw. Um, mm -hmm. You can argue that there is a certain amount of um, rationalization that they will go through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, every time your characters do a vulgar effect in front of a bunch of people, like nothing nothing cleans that up and the question is should there be should paradox act as that like the mists from changeling that just kind of cover this Interesting, or delirium I've done that which is mm -hmm. um i like my first effect that i've always had with paradox is that it ne doesn't necessarily even stop you from doing it it just stops everybody else from really knowing what the hell is going mm -hmm. on um and then and, and then it goes after the you know because it, it, it's like well i'm going to stop the thing that's doing all of this you know, once I've at least contained it, but I kind of like that idea, though that um, that it doesn't cover it up. And I, because I've always I, I came over to Mage from Vampire Learning of Werewolf first, so I always I didn't really I guess I, I just made that assumption that that paradox would do that, um, and I just never questioned that before. Um, but I really like that idea, though, now that I'm thinking about it, that there is this there is nothing covering it up but the technocracy. So the Taftani are even more I'm in love with them than is because I completely agree. Go out and do some crazy stuff. You know, like we only get one life. Live it and prove that Briefly. magic is real. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do that and you can live to the ripe old age of 14. Um <laughs> Uh, it's kind of interesting because in 1E, Paradox Spirits were presented as being much more um, intelligent, mm -hmm. uh, that they would wait for a mage to trip up or they would monitor a mage. 
And I think that's fascinating. Like if we got a weird little 40 page supplement on people playing paradox spirits, I think, I think that could be cool. Um, so that's and... where I get a lot of my knowledge too, is from one E like, mm-hmm. I mean, first edition is when I, when I, what it was the one that I read the whole thing when I first got into all of this, the rest of them, I just read the parts that I thought they changed. And, mm-hmm. and I, uh, so that's where I kind of got that idea. I think then, um, because oh, yeah. I really saw the idea of paradox spirits is really what paradox is. It's there's, there's a thought process consciousness that's behind this. Revised also kind of introduced the idea that uh, kind of in the same way Changeling doesn't have a fixed history because you are creatures of legend and as the story is retold it changes and that will literally change what actually happened in the eyes of Changelings. Um, One of the things that we get is we kind of get the notion at various points that if a great act of magic ended in an explosion of paradox... Um, people start remembering it differently over time and maybe the historical record changes and the technocracy has figured out how to do that the other way where if they want to have an idea establish itself in the consensus faster they will plant historical evidence that oh no we've been doing weird hovercrafts based on electromagnets for centuries look it's not it's not that strange at all. But here, here's here's a picture of George Washington on a hovercraft <laughs> crossing the Delaware or something like that. And people are like, oh, yeah, hovercrafts are founding fathers. Right to a gun in a hovercraft. Um, and suddenly, like, hovercrafts are everywhere. Um, <laughs> and that's how you know you're in an alternate universe, in an alternate version of Earth. There's a Zeppelin. Um, and you're not in Ohio. So, uh, yeah. So I, I am proposing the hovercraft version of me where everyone's just towing around in hovercrafts. Uh, but, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really clean up after itself. Um and, and regarding the question of paradigm, you're right. Like we do need to to win. Uh, so the so the traditions are not necessarily taking the fight to the the technocracy. They are just playing it very safe. And what M20 kind of suggests, but doesn't quite come out and do, is say you need to bring magic into the world, whether that be a mystically tinged rock concert or you acting as a faith healer or reviving an old folkway in your community. Um, that can help bring those little bits of magic back. But we lack a system for how to do that. Um, like, we don't have rules on how to shift, uh, in Mage, what are referred to as reality zones, the set of mm-hmm. beliefs that are considered coincidental in an area. And I think that's something that would improve the game. So you're a character that operates a community center that also is trying to bring back um, the in indigenous practices and dance and worship of Benin and Togo, maybe in an area that has a lot of West African families in it mm-hmm. or something like that. And you would like to uh, call upon Ife or something like that uh, to do one of your effects. And since you've been operating this community center and just teaching the local school children about uh, these stories and legends, that when they see one of these things manifest itself, when Noble Spider uh, defeats Cowardly Lion, in the form of um, uh, of somebody uh, stopping the cops or something like that. It is coincidental. Um, one, that takes a lot of long-term play. And two, we don't have rules on how to do it. So um, I, I hope that's something we get in a, a future book 
That'd be interesting. Um, yeah, I, for for the Ascension War to be fighting over reality, mm-hmm. but to have no rules on how to change <laughs> consensus in, in reality is really interesting. Although I kind of see it from White Wolf's point of view in that when they kind of presented this game, they kind of said the tra- tradition's lost long ago. Like, this is this is not a war anymore. This mm-hmm. is pretty much a, a victory lap that's being done by the technocracy at this point and the end of the world's coming and it's mm-hmm. kind of their fault too. So, <laughs> and it's or, or do either of you play V five or familiar with it? I'm a little bit familiar with it, um, but I haven't played it at all. But I've been hearing some new things, um, which I'm really interested in, like the Inquisition, that the mm-hmm. new Inquisition, the second Inquisition. I always felt like when they eventually get to Mage, they're going to make Mage part of that to a certain degree. Yeah, two second, two Inquisition. <laughs> um, and uh, Ken Height, who is one of the writers on it was talking about how uh, vampires are ancient entities that do multi-century schemes. So why doesn't the game have a system for multi-century entities doing eternal schemes? Um, which is why one of his big push was was to have a political system or a scheme system uh, added to V5, which he ultimately added. And we get that for Changeling, actually the uh, C20 player's guide gives you information on how to advance court agendas Mm. and so on and that is something that you could steal for most other games i probably wouldn't use it in wraith necessarily because wraith really wants you to interface with that bureaucracy like it wants dealing with the hierarchy to be front and center um but for mage sure um i think it would be great to be like hey we are going to do for the next nine months our goal is to get this area comfortable with this particular type of magic and this is the front that we're going to use this is how we're going to get the community behind us and then you role play through three or four different scenes uh maybe the cops try and bust up oh you don't have a permit to have 150 people together and you have to deal with that or in another case someone someone buys your storefront or the rent suddenly goes up that you've been using to 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 run this community group or something like that and then you have whatever your climax is and then once you've been able to hold that for six months your reality zone has shifted um i i I would love to see systems for that yeah i I certainly agree with you josh um yeah one thing i would like to see with vampire too just on that note real quick is the the concept of like when i got into um doing this gen con game one of the things i found was alderman districts and i was just like well vampires need to be fighting over this shit all the time that's (laughs) that's needs to be like literally like i want to make just a tabletop uh board game with the the city of Madison or whatever the city of Chicago Mm -hmm. and just have the alderman districts on there. And the whole game is all about you're one of the primogen and you're got to expand your territory for the Tremere or for, you know, or fend off probably, you know, like everybody should be fighting on the city scale at, at a primogen kind of level where it's almost not an RTS, but almost like kind of like settlers of Catan, you know, and that's, and people get just Mm -hmm. as heated in the, the council meeting as, as people do at settlers of Catan. I don't know if you've ever, seen a game of settlers of Catan, but man that's that's a game to destroy all friendships so that's how i imagine I, a primogen meeting i generally don't like games that are slightly modified solitaire um <laughs> so i i do not like settlers i don't like dominion um i i don't like games unless everyone takes their turn at the same time and there's a lot of yelling um so, <laughs> so uh resistance uh coup big fan of those Uh, One of my favorite aspects of the Resistance game is no matter what, just because of how they come across, my housemate, everyone always thinks they're the spy. (laughs) And and there's like, it's obvious that it's Terry. We have all this evidence. And people would be like, 
that's exactly what a spy would say. Um, so <laughs> so he's either the first to be eliminated as the spy or the reason that the spies win because everyone thinks that that's the spy. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's a game I, I would love to see. And we could do the Mage of the Ascension version of that where it is a uh, tactical or theater game where you are literally playing the Ascension War. Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you need a completely free-form magic system? No. Um, is that a game that Mage so far has had baked into it? No. Is it a really cool direction that if it turns out it sucks, we can be like, well, that was the thing. Yes. <laughs> so to me, that's something that has a lot of upside and very little downside to it. Uh, if we could have that to go back to our, our earlier video game uh, conversation. So. Yes. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's a lot of potential and we'll see whether Paradox can uh, really pull all that potential that's there. <laughs> Yeah, he, he said, hopefully. Um, it, it, my kind of view for things is like, the, the only thing that could really kill Mage for me is if they put out a V5 that put that left such a bad taste in people's mouths that it retroactively ruined the other versions. Mm -hmm. Where if it's like, I'm trying to think of a thing where... where <laughs> That, that could be a reasonable comparison, but like occasionally you will have a new edition of something that sucks so thoroughly that that name is just kind of poisoned. Um, like the current edition of Shadowrun has apparently aggravated so many people that when someone wants to run a previous version of Shadowrun, they're having difficulty finding people because they're like, Shadowrun, isn't that game that sucks in every conceivable way and the only people who play it are pederasts? And you're like, uh... uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the only the only way the, the the only thing that would be really bad is what M5 proved to be like that they somehow managed to muck it up so royally it like soured the name of all the previous ones because like no one can take my 20th edition books from me that I know of uh, or my revised stuff and it's going to be a couple years so there's a lot of space for the community to figure out what it wants uh, and maybe something super interesting can come out. Uh, there was a huge break in Exalted between second and third edition, and the community did a really good job of coming up with a lot of stuff. And I mean, if we ran the numbers, second edition Exalted is probably still more popular just because like people want to play their weird giant ass mixed game and they just don't have all the splats yet, the fat splats for Exalted 3. So mm -hmm. I run into a lot of people who are still playing second edition. Um, so I, I'm I'm curious to see how that goes, but hopefully they can find that synergy, that really cool transmedia property that makes people go, oh, this is an interesting mage world. And I mean, in the meantime, we've had Buffy, we've had the Dresden Files, we've had Supernatural. Like, uh, I think people are, are perfectly ready for liminal, fundamentally human characters that are in over their head that may have access to tools that normal mortals don't who have a power of righteousness and where it's not intrinsically a horror thing. Um, oh, yeah, no, that's it's something that I've, I feel like White Wolf missed out on, and not necessarily missed out on because it's still here, but it's it, there was a huge time period, you know, through the early aughts, late nineties, that magic, supernatural, like all these things started kind of coming out. Um, like uh, there's what magicians right now that uh, just finished up. Um, there's all these different shows that all have mm -hmm. these very strong World of Darkness themes. And White Wolf, I feel like White Wolf could have come out with a, a really good World of Darkness like themed show. Unfortunately, K Kindred, I don't know if you watched. Kindred that. the Embraced. Yeah, Kindred the Embraced was. Uh... Kindred the copyright violation, yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> 
uh, I liked that, but uh, but I mean, I feel like they could have tried more with doing that, um, and just putting out their name and just giving it to people to do, you know, a, a, a world that doesn't necessarily isn't everything of the world of darkness, but it's it's get your name out there, get get into the the vampire love that we've had for the last forty years. I don't know why or how the vampires have entra- entranced western culture with love and and sexualization but that's we we still love them i mean i don't know how twilight did so well but it did and it shouldn't have but it was vampires and werewolves that made it that way yeah that is kind of happening now though with the the live stream plays uh, the live play streams like uh i think next week we're doing minneapolis by night twin cities yep uh, Twin Cities by night, and and there's like L.A. by night, Vancouver by night. There's a bunch of them now, and uh, you know, with the rise of that stuff, uh, I mean, that culture is it's, yeah, getting, it's getting out it's there. It's up to us fans in order to bring this to the world. Like, I mean, there's an entire company that made millions of dollars off of this type of stuff, um, or well, I don't know, millions, but they made money. So the thing that I am kind of curious about is what is the genre of world of darkness supernatural urban horror maybe but it's not because it differs by line mm-hmm. um like werewolf is rage plus futility um vampire is notionally personal horror um wraith is horror horror you're literally a ghost like it doesn't have this unified emotional core that I think a show would have just because it would be like if on the X-Files you were you periodically brought in the cast of like NCIS one week and then the cast of the Golden Girls another week. Um, I would likely enjoy that show. But um, so it, it, it's one of those things where there is a... A, a, there is a social space for supernatural creatures. But to me, if we were to see that show, what is the unique thing it would bring to the table? Like, I feel like we've passed urban conspiracy, like to be like, oh, the syndicate and Pentax and uh, the Ventru are controlling everything. That's late to, that's early 2000s, late 90s stuff. I think we would need to see some sort of innovation in that regard. And I am curious what that would be. I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but I think they would have to figure out that twist because at this point we've had the true blood, we've had the vampire diaries, we've had the whatever. So right. what, what do you think would be the, the unique thing that it brings? Um, my, I, I like that. Um, I think that we're almost primed and ready for another 1984 type, uh, like, revision that needs to be like updated for the the 21st century and what we have for all of the technology and everything that we have right now and i think so world of black mirror world black mirror to a certain degree um but the i think the focus on and i think that generally mage i like the focus on the technocracy and not necessarily making them good or bad but the idea that that's the one of the most important groups in the world of darkness. And if you were, if you wanted to kind of bring things up into the modern day, everybody's dealing with technology, everybody's dealing with surveillance and how, how is that all done um, type kind of things is something I could 
think of. Um, but yeah, it's it's really it is really tough to, um, you know, to a certain degree. I feel like if you just took Supernatural and just called it Hunter the Reckoning, um, and then gave them, you know, Hunter Power, like these are certain things that could have been done by White Wolf had they um, originally. And I don't know where it is right now. But there, there's a lot that a lot of these shows are very much just you can easily see there's a lot of World of Darkness in them, whether they're influenced by it or not, because the World of Darkness is influenced by all these other things that are also influencing these things. But it's just easy to see that you could make a, uh, a Vampire the Masquerade, a Hunter the Reckoning, or just but you got to be narrow. You focus in on your one thing or your technocracy show and you make CSI technocracy. CSI or you know supernatural hunter the reckoning or you know you take these 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 shows and you just make them um with the concepts of the world of darkness inside of them and I don't think there's that much of a of a, a jump there and I think that there's a huge crowd of people out there that are just I mean supernatural got like 15 seasons I mean are you kidding me there's a, there's a, just a, a a weird like need for like supernatural shows and weird supernatural type world of darkness themed things, whether, but just the general concept of, of magic and, and supernatural shit in this world. I, I yeah. think, yeah. Uh, so uh, what are your, I was going to say, was, uh, one way to look at it. I, I mean, I do have an idea for a world of darkness show, but the other way you could look at it is, dozens of these shows already exist in the world of darkness. You just have to change a few names. So you are proposing something where we would have like a reskinning of something. Uh, yeah, I suppose you could. I mean, okay. I was, I was going to say X files could just be the world of darkness. It's just, you change a few names. But I, I, I don't think there, I don't think there's a, a type of show that could encompass all of the world of darkness. Mm -hmm. And with a lot of these big media properties, it is no longer a genre. Like star Wars is no longer a genre. Mm -hmm. Star Wars is a, is a place. Um, and, and you can get the Western, you can get the action adventure, you can get the spiritual journey. And they're all within that same thing with, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe. We're going to get a, a horror movie. We've had action comedy. We've had adventure movies. And now we have whatever WandaVision is that is kind of revealing that. Maybe something else. <laughs> what was that? Sitcom slash something else. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, my favorite Marvel show uh, is Legion by far. And I cannot tell you what show, the kind of show that is. And I have watched the entirety of it. <laughs> Sometimes, watched, like, several times. Of it. And, yeah, it, I, I would say that would be a hard genre. to. to it's a show. It's a show. <laughs> and it's a show I like. But yeah, it's mm -hmm. not, uh, it, I couldn't put it in a specific spot and say that's that's the genre that belonged to. Yeah, I think a friend of mine said it was uh, if Wes Anderson made a dark superhero show. It doesn't have enough wide pans. Yeah. <laughs> but other, <laughs> otherwise, I think we could get Yeah, there. Legion is friggin' weird. And it's great, and it's beautiful. And uh, in, in the same way that people were like, oh, I want to see a, a, this kind of Star Wars show. I'm like, I want to see a Damon Lindelof Star Wars show. I, I, I want to see the person who did Watchmen and The Leftovers do a Star Wars. That is what I want. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, you mean the, the new Watchmen show? Yes, the one that was on HBO. Okay. So the, yeah, the same person that was so behind that. Good. 
that's where our cultural references are going to start breaking down at some point. I've never heard of that guy. So, but <laughs> yeah, he also did Lost. I guess that's probably the other biggest name that uh, oh, that he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Warfman was an amazing show. So, uh huh. And uh, there was that free weekend where the one upside of the uh, ra- of the <laughs> police violence in the United States was I got to stream it for free for a weekend. So, uh, yeah. So I just shotgunned it in two days while on my treadmill. So my legs hurt, my heart hurt, and my brain hurt. So that was a very satisfying, <laughs> very satisfying good, good weekend. Good Get a, get everything going there, and it may probably even some spiritual cleansing that you got out of that too. Yeah, yeah. I, um, so so we're coming up on two hours, and I'm gonna have to. Uh, this this is part of the reason I'm on the podcast because Josh would talk to you forever. Um, so we've got a few other uh, things just to give people who have made it this far some context uh, for you uh, and who you are. Uh, the question that I like to ask is. Uh, do you go to conventions? What conventions have you gone to? Uh, what are you going to right now? Uh, you mentioned virtual conventions earlier. And uh, what what are you looking forward to when pandemic is over? Um, I am hoping I will answer in reverse order. Um, when the pandemic is over, I look forward to people no longer dying as much. Quite simply, let's start with the with the simple human toll. Uh, shortly after that, um, I did not ride a bicycle between the ages of 16 and 32. And it turns out that I was able to pick that up again at the age of 32 pretty easily. Turns out riding a bike is just like le- learning how to ride a bike. <laughs> so that's a good thing. I look forward to seeing if social skills are the same way. Um, if I will go to a party and I will walk around and maybe shake everyone's hands three times or tell an inappropriate story or shout really loud just because I haven't been in that kind of social setting for a while. And I'm really curious to see how we readjust to that. And I think that will make an amazing Wes Anderson movie. Um, (laughs) as we have kids like figured this out and along with adults, um, as far as conventions go, I love them. I love them more now that I can't go to them. I have done a few virtual conventions and I'm kind of disappointed that people haven't done better virtual conventions. Um, I went to virtual Gen Con and I think 175% of the sessions that were offered for like open table games to play were, um, were D&D 5th edition or Pathfinder Society. So like mm-hmm. out of every four sessions that you found, six of them were D&D. Um, I don't know if that's physically possible, but that's kind of what I seem it would seem like it was. Um, I, I have I have an idea of how I would run an online convention where you would start with storytellers. And if you offered to run a game or you would have the ability to say, I want to try this game, I'm willing to run this game. And if you get enough people, um, you, you start getting network effects that come in where it's like, oh, Moto's willing to run Call of Cthulhu and really wants to try Hunter. If I run a game of Hunter, I can be in Moto's Call of Cthulhu game. And you start getting neat little matchups like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think a convention kind of falls out the other end where storytellers would kind of get first crack at it. Um, and you could see what people would request. And if at the end of the day, 90% of people want to play in D&D, we'll try and get them. 
Um, but we still want something for everything else. There was a period of time where I was thinking of really becoming the mummy, the resurrection guy, because there doesn't really seem to be one. And like, it would be great to just be like the recognized expert for mummy, the resurrection or something like that. There were only three books. And that's if you include the LARP book, mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> laws of resurrection. I did, I did um, uh, run a mummy game at Gen Con, um, in 2018. Um, nice. It was, uh, it, 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 it was very popular. I did 10 allowed for 10 people. And I think I got, uh, like six or seven people that showed up for that. Um, one thing I find very interesting on commenting on that is I think that there's also a, a, a very big lack of people that are running other type of games at these cons, to be honest. Because mm -hmm. like one of the things that uh, I found really interesting when I started running games for Gen Con in the World of Darkness is I, I was contacted on Facebook by some guy um, who said, well, how are, how are you running white wolf games at at gen con um the wrecking crew has that locked down they're they're the only ones that run games at gen con because nobody will play in any other games but wrecking crew games and i was like i don't know about you but i'm a nobody and everybody is signing up for my games yeah so, i can't hear you over the sound of me having no difficulty doing that yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm like and I, so i think that there's i think there literally is in inside of the gaming community a bunch of people that just don't know that they could run and how popular it would how easy it would be to fill up your games to run tabletop now i think larp is is present definitely at gen con um, and, and those are harder. And I've heard of, of GMs that are like, I started up, I, I, I did a LARP and not a single person bought a ticket. Um, and it's because you didn't, he didn't do any advertising and he's competing with all of these other LARPs. Um, but tabletop, there's no competition. Like, mm -hmm. There's, there's wrecking crew and stuff, but there's, there's a, there's a need and want for the, like, I can't get into a world of darkness game. When I go to Gen Con, I try and try. It's it's really really hard to get a ticket to them because they they buy up so quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I ran five sessions of Mage of the Ascension uh, at Gen Con this year, and all of them filled instantly, nearly. Um, and in one case, someone didn't show up and I freed up the slot and in under 90 seconds, we had a replacement player. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, that happened. Um, and people can learn mage in a one shot. I, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where, yeah, it's a, it's a chunky system, but if you're willing to fudge it a little bit and you're willing to lean on tropes and the fact that everyone is already familiar with what a role-playing game is kind of like you can do it. So anyone in the audience who's like, yeah, I like this game and I kind of want to run it, do it. You don't even have to run it that well. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, it's, it's, it's great practice. If nothing else, if you're not sure how to do it. Uh, my favorite conventions, I went to Gen Con um, in 2019, and that was great. That was, we had exactly 12 hours of good, clean fun every day for four, five days or whatever it was. Uh, we had a place that was close enough. Every morning we would leave at 10 a.m. And every night we would leave at about 10 p.m. And we'd get a sensible eight hours of sleep um, and compare notes and go food shopping and so on. And that was that was great. Uh, my favorite two conventions, Dragon Con will always have my heart just because that was the first convention I ever went to, which ruined every other convention for me. Um, where it's like, uh, there's a whole bunch of people dressed as sexy C-3PO's that are having a wet t-shirt contest on the floor of a hotel. Uh, I'm having fun. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> but at the same time, I also got to meet like Neil deGrasse Tyson and the Nobel Prize winner in physics 2011 at the same time, <laughs> like not literally the same time, but within like eight hours of one another. <laughs> so, and now I do 
panel program for uh, for uh, Dragon Con, and it's great. But it's huge. It's nine conventions combined together, more than anything else. Um, uh, I used to go to New York Comic Con. Um, I enjoyed C two E two out of Chicago. I, I like the big ones. I have never been to a small or regional convention except for some of the ones in the Greater Ohio area, um, which I refer to as Shitball Con. Um, not a commentary on Ohio, but um, some of them make curious choices as to where they want to host it. I, I was hoping to make it to um, Midwinter, but I'm like, ah, surely COVID will be done by then. COVID was not done by then, he said to the audience. Um, so I, I hope to do that. And maybe I run my my own, which, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if my thing kind of gets off the ground. Have you uh, been to Origins in Cleveland? No. Okay. I have not. Yeah, that's, one, that's one that we go to, or at least I go to every year. Uh, because a buddy of mine lives in Ohio, so it's a mm. good, good reason to go and visit him. Um, uh, actually, let's uh, let's move on because we're at two hours. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's been. It's, so, it's, I, I like Mike said. I would I would love just to talk forever, but yeah. <laughs> Did I talk uh, too much? <laughs> no, you talk perfect. No, no you're perfect. Uh, penultimate question: uh, What is the future of Mage the podcast? Are you just going to keep going, or is there like a <laughs> Your goal in mind. <laughs> Sorry, just the way you... <laughs> there was the slight tinge of like, but why? Um, <laughs> um, so I, I plan on continuing to do Mage the podcast. We're at episode one thirty six ish right now. Um, so I think we currently hold the record for the most number of non book review shows about a single World of Darkness property that's not a live play. Uh, talking about specializing your your way to victory. Um, <laughs> Get your niche in there. Yeah. Um, I look to the board on my right, and I have 29 episodes planned. Um, December, what is it? Uh, January 2nd, 2022, I think our episode on Ascension goes out, the last book of Revised. Um, oh, is that the, 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 the final, the end of Days book, right? Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, I want I, I because I love that book. Um, uh-huh. I really want to see what your guys' take on it is. I prefer, and, per, I'm a one that just loves the Nefandi ending, to be honest, where it's like, oh, the entire world's screwed. Like, the players <laughs> are not going to win this war, but let's um, have fun. <laughs> I like the, the canon ending where it's like, all this shit you didn't think read. Well, guess what? It was because I am Malcolm Shepard and I am that good. <laughs> Um, so it just, it just felt like a weird flex where it's like, oh yeah, I am going to tie everything with a neat bow deal. Um, like, yeah, yes, I did have a weird plan for Chiron Mustai. Um, so I, I plan on doing it. Um, I, I reserve the right to reassess that sometime in 2023. Um, quite simply because <laughs> I, I, again, I, we have the book reviews until we're done. Once we're done the book reviews, what do we do after that? I don't know. Um, for systematic understanding of everything, we do explainer episodes uh, where we're just like, let's show you the system. And one of the patrons for Mates the Podcast is like, yeah, you know that thing you do on your other podcast? Yeah. That makes everything really easy to understand and is super useful to listeners. Yeah. Why aren't you doing it for Mage? And I'm like, that is a good question. I should investigate this. Um, so indeterminate future? Certainly. Um, more than a year out? Hey, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know, but on the plus side, I'm getting faster at editing the show, so it's taking up slightly less time with each passing week. But yeah, we uh, we I, I got I got a lot of ideas on the board, so we ain't running out of gas anytime soon. Yeah, uh, well, I'm enjoying it quite a bit, Thank and you. Uh, 
to to wrap up uh since gaming is 90 percent theft from other people my last question is of course is there any question you wish we would have asked you if people don't know that's the question you use at the end of your episodes uh, yes, uh, that is something I picked up from Ezra Klein, I think. Ezra Klein or Manning oh, yeah. is on, on the Vox podcast. They're like, so yeah. if we were more informed about this topic, what's the good question we would have asked you? Yeah, um, I'm realizing that that's where you got it from. I yeah. listen to it myself. Uh -huh. And uh, every time I see Ezra Klein with the New York Times, I'm like, traitor. Um, that, will, <laughs> that, will, that will fade ultimately over time. Um, I guess I guess the question that I will use as a springboard is um, if paradigms are all true, can you do it wrong? To which I will say, not really. If you get a game that seems balanced and internally consistent, you are probably doing paradigms correctly. Um, if you're fudging a lot of stuff and you're figuring out things on the go and the characters aren't necessarily sure what they can and can't do, I think you figured out mage. It's, <laughs> it's a conversation on philosophy and belief. And while a game book can lay down rules and, uh, and guidelines, the characters in the world don't know what those rules are. And they're going to be feeling it along in their own way and figuring out what they can and can't do. Um, they don't know what paradox is fundamentally. They don't know it as a balancing mechanic that makes it so you don't need magic points or mana in Mage, uh, which is fundamentally what it is. It is our way of not having to deal with Vancy and magic. Um, so they don't know. So if the characters are a little off-footed and no one's quite sure, but the game is going forward and there is a sense of discovery and learning, you are doing it correctly, I would say. And for more information, join us at Mage the Podcast, magethepodcast.com, at Terry Robinson on Twitter. <laughs> you know, you say that sarcastically, but that's the next part. Uh, yeah. where online okay um so the next big thing i'm going to drop is last year i did a survey of a little bit over a, a 1000 people on their buying and playing habits in the old world of darkness um that will go up on the mates the podcast youtube feed within the next few weeks i will share that link with you i'd be fascinated to see what people think i have a lot of interesting conclusions we got from that but for me personally i'm at terry robinson we run a discord at uh discord.me slash mates the podcast we have a very hopping conversation there we're very friendly towards new players uh or at least we try to be if someone is gruff it is usually because english is their second or third language uh, a, a very active fan base from around the world, huge in Brazil. Um, as, as I'm fond of stating, when you go on the various Facebook groups, like you look at the vampire group and it's a lot of people with black clothing and black hair, and you look at the, uh, the Changeling group and it's a lot of people in Renfair costume. And then you go to the Maids, the Ascension group, and it's a lot of Northern European programmers. And sometimes I look at that and I'm like, yep, that's, that's us. Um, it, <laughs> if you get a gruff answer, it's probably because we lack social graces, not because we don't like you. Um, and if you have a question about mage that you would like us to try and answer the show, mage the podcast at gmail.com or see all of our past episodes at mage the podcast.com. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks for being here. And I think Josh, that's uh, your cue to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, so words and then words, more words. Oh, um, you got to scroll down. Oh, it's further down the document. Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, all right, so yeah, uh, let's go ahead and do some little bit of shout outs here. So uh, definitely wanted just to uh, give a shout out to uh, Mage the Podcast, or um, well, Mage the Podcast, definitely. Uh, thank you, Terry, for being on. It's definitely oh, awesome. Um, and really for my podcasting vest. <laughs> <laughs> and I also want to um, definitely shout out to Midnight um, Express podcast. Um, they really got me into wanting to do my own podcast um, after I went on to one of their shows. And it was a lot of fun um, being on their show. So I was like, you know what? I want to do this. And so I got into making my own that way. Um, Utility Muffin Labs, really great place to check out some podcasts um, about World of Darkness and gaming in general. Um, and then, of course, the World of Dark Ages um, podcast. Check that out for all of your historical, crazy Dark Ages uh, information that we should all learn. Um, and you can always check us out on Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Instagram is just all about my cats. Um, so, and maybe a little bit of pictures of my books and some other random stuff but mainly my cats is uh, so if you like kitten pictures check out golden age stories uh instagram we rock uh all right and that uh switches it over to you mike all right and don't forget to turn into our mage of the ascension game technogate on monday nights at 7 p.m central time on twitch at twitch.tv slash golden age stories and remember that's golden spelled g-u-l-d-a-n and what do we have planned for next week, Josh? Uh, so next week we're going to be talking to uh, Twin Cities by Night, uh, doing an interview and kind of just talking about uh, those kind of living campaigns that exist out there, um, or the is campaigns. Be kind one of... person? What's that? Is it just going to be one person, or is it like everybody? Uh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I got contacted specifically by their their Facebook page, so I didn't talk to an actual human. I mean, I, I'm sure there was a human behind it, but it could have been a robot. I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Probably before next week. It's it's possible. <laughs> it's possible we won't. <laughs> awesome. We're very organized. Thank you, Terry, for coming on, and uh, thank you for co-hosting uh, Moto, and uh, everyone, thank you for watching or for listening. Good night, everybody. Go change reality. <laughs> <laughs>